it all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my CEO guest is Rick Stallmeyer. Rick co-founded MindBody in his garage in 2001, and today serves as the company's CEO and principal visionary, ensuring that everything the company embraces, from product line to business development to team members' enrichment, serves the company's purpose to help people lead healthier, happy lives by connecting their world to wellness. Rick is a graduate of Annapolis Naval Academy and served his country for five years in the Navy, and he lives with his wife, Jill, near the company headquarters in San Luis Obispo, California. Rick Stallmeyer, welcome into the corner office. Thank you, Brant. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you here. And uh, you're in beautiful San Luis Obispo, and it sounds like you're having the same weather. I'm in Connecticut today. It's a beautiful spring day outside. Wonderful. It's nice here as well. (laughs) So I'd love to hear a little bit about, we always try to start the pod with, you know, information about your early life. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and, you know, what your early family life was like. I grew up in Glendora, California. It's a suburb of of Los Angeles in the San Gabriel Valley. Uh, My father was a small retail business owner. Uh, Lighting fixtures is the family specialty. So my grandfather, my father, a couple of uncles, three of my four brothers, um, all involved in the retail lighting industry wow. when I was growing up. And so I'm the youngest of, yeah. it is, yeah. And I'm the youngest of five boys. So I, uh, I grew up in that business. Yeah, yeah. Working in the stock floor, I imagine, as an early uh, uh, early kid and, and helping out retail, et cetera. Was it a retail store or more of a distributor? It was retail and wholesale. Yeah. And yeah. Our, our sources of, of customers were people remodeling their homes, uh, upgrading their their lighting right. pictures, of course, as well as the construction industry. Yeah, yeah, cool. So t- t- your parents both involved in the business? Uh, was that something that your dad got involved with early on because his dad got started with it? Or how did that kind of evolve? Yeah, well, my dad uh, himself grew up in it because uh, yeah. his father opened his store in the 1920s, the first lighting wow. picture store in Los Angeles. My dad grew up in it and then he uh, worked for his father for a while and then when I was the year I was born, um, he bro- he struck out on his own and opened his own independent store oh. uh, in uh, the San Gabriel Valley. Yeah, got it, got it. So, uh, brothers and sisters, or just brothers? Just brothers. My mom tried just five brothers. times; she could not get her girl. <laughs> and and do, do your older brothers are they still in the business? Did they kind of stay along? And you branched out, and we'll get to that, of course, a little bit later. Yeah, my oldest brother is actually still running. Um, still running it. Kind of yeah. The last vestige of it. There's a 
very small uh, store here in San Luis Obispo where I live now. Oh. And um, it's really more of a consulting business now. Yeah, yeah, cool. So tell me about, you know, what, what, what did they do to inspire you, mom and dad and maybe older brothers? Were there things that you remember from those early days, either working in the family business or around the, around the dinner table? Well, I mean, first and foremost was just the sheer guts and chutzpah to open a, a retail store to have one's yeah. own business. And my mom worked in the business as well. She did all the bookkeeping wow. and uh, would also uh, serve customers. And uh, I think it, it showed me at an early age that you could do that. Very few of my friends right. had parents who ran their own businesses. Yeah, yeah, got it. So uh, very entrepreneurial family then in that respect. It is, absolutely. And yeah. it, it gave me a, a deep respect for that and, uh, and also an understanding of how hard it is. It was, right. it was a very cyclical business. We would have, you know, flush years when, when things were really good and, you know, mom and dad would buy new cars. And, um, and we, the year that we got a, a pool uh, built in the backyard, um, <laughs> And then there'd be a couple of years later and things are really lean and, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, I don't know if we really need two cars and, and, and <laughs> maybe we should downsize the house. And so right, I, I grew right. up with this wonderful, warm family. Um, my parents also prioritized just time with the family. Uh, we were into boating mm. and, and um, dirt bikes. We would go out in nice. the desert and ride our dirt bikes and also water skiing. So them them prioritizing that even in the years when they didn't we didn't have much right uh, was an right. important impression on me as that well that family time together yeah great foundations outside of the family were there other early people you know people early in your life that inspired you and if so who well, were they it, or or what else might have it turned out a neighbor there's just a few doors down from us on our street that I grew up with was an executive at NASA oh a literal rocket scientist a literal <laughs> rocket scientist and, and um the Jet Propulsion Laboratory is is in Pasadena. It's oh, that's not, right. Yeah, yeah, quite that's close right. By. So yeah, he had yeah. he was worked there, and then he got promoted, and they moved away uh, when I was in fifth grade. But we remained really close, and so he ended up being a top exec at NASA. Was responsible for the space shuttle program for many oh, years. Wow, cool, and and a huge influence on me. Yeah, yeah. In what way? Uh, just because of the work that he was doing, or was he just kind of that mentoring type of uh, adult? Well, number one, he was. He was a, a very successful engineer, mm -hmm. and okay. I saw how someone who had studied technology and engineering yeah. could be successful. And, and in those days, you know, the most exciting thing going on was aerospace. And this right, guy, right, this guy sure. had gotten a degree in electrical engineering and had gone on to be one of the key leaders in the U.S. space program. Awesome. And, uh, and, and secondly, being part of these very large government projects was really inspiring. And yeah. he, he got us VIP tickets to see the space shuttle Columbia land at Edwards Air Force Base. <laughs> nice. And Fantastic. Uh, that just blew me away. That was, yeah, I was yeah. uh, 14 years old oh. and wow. uh, I'd never seen something so magnificent in my life. Yeah. And so oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah. That, that I think opened the door for me to wanting to be some, a part of something much bigger than being perhaps a local small business owner. Yeah, yeah, got it, cool. So school, were you a good student, Rick? I was. Uh, I was very ambitious uh, at a young age and 
once I realized, I kind of accidentally got straight A's one semester um, <laughs> and, and realized, wow, I could do this. And I could yeah. just, so I just got straight A's from that point forward. And back then you nice. didn't, there wasn't these uh, honors classes. So you, right, the best right. you could do was a 4.0. It was a 4.0, right, yeah. And, um, and also I was really driven to, to be able to accomplish more in my life and you know, I love my parents. I'm very fortunate to still have them. They're 87 mm. years old oh, now. They've been, they've been married for 68 years. Lovely. And lovely. Uh, uh, and I also saw the struggles of of running a business like that, and saw academic achievement as a path to you know to to greater success in life. Right. Yeah, excellent, cool. And so uh, anything outside of class? It sounds like studies probably took a lot of your time, but were you involved in sports, music, theater, engineering club? You know, were there other things that you pursued? Music and theater uh, yeah. really drove my high school experience. Um, nice. I, was, I was a trumpet player, I sang in the choir. Um, I was in several plays, starred in two of them um, as the male lead. Uh, and also was in athletics. And so I was in a, a tennis and track, tried wrestling one semester, decided that wasn't a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> unlike, uh, your, unlike our mutual friend Aaron Steed down the road, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. No, for me, wrestling, I was like, you know, just grappling with a bunch of sweaty guys. It didn't seem like <laughs> no. really that much of a good time. But I, uh, I really enjoyed the arts and I enjoyed just what I mm. learned in, in band. Uh, and also in in theater uh, is just the value of hard work, and you could apply right. yourself to something really challenging, and and achieve it. Right. And, right. Well, and I, I imagine the theater too is great for public speaking, right? Did you find that that developed your personality and your ability to you know be very comfortable in far, in front of large groups of people? Definitely. If if you can yeah. sing and dance and act in front of your teenage peers, <laughs> you can truly do anything. Yeah, strangers uh, would be easier, right? <laughs> would be easier. Yeah, yeah. It, that fantastic. really opened me up. It it, yeah. it, it expanded my social horizons um, and gave me a lot of confidence. You mentioned a couple of leading roles. What was your favorite uh, leading role in your high school plays? Well, I I played Ben Rumson in Paint Your Wagon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Yeah, and uh, it was a that was a '30s movie, wasn't it, or '40s? I think somewhere back there. Yeah, and, and I was yeah. I was Herbie in in Gypsy. Okay, great. And so, um, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun, and uh, and I was I was on path to to really go to to apply to a number of high end universities, and was looking at the Ivy Leagues, MIT, Caltech, of course, because I was going to major in engineering. Right. Uh, UC Berkeley, Stanford, and uh, funny, I, I look back at it now, and I was just really shooting high. Like I was going for the most difficult, uh, competitive schools in the country. And back then, you had this book. Remember the Barron's Guide to Colleges? Sure, and absolutely. it would list schools by their level of competitiveness. It's a good and, doorstop. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I studied that thing from sophomore yeah, in high good. school on. <laughs> And the most competitive schools, I literally ticked them off and studied all of them and said, well, these are the, because you know, we didn't have this thing called the internet back then. So you had to sure, get the sure. information from a book. And um, in that list were these service academies, oh. uh, West Point, Annapolis, That's right. the Air Force yeah. Academy, the Coast Guard Academy. And I thought that was really fascinating. Um, sure. And so couple that with having gone to Edwards Air Force Base and watched the space shuttle land. Right, right. 
And uh, my original pl- my originally got inspired by the Air Force and thought, well, I'm going to be an Air Force pilot. And uh, ended up going to Annapolis instead. Ah, right. Mainly, mainly cool. because the uniforms are way cooler. And, uh, <laughs> and that's Force. a full ride, right? They, they, they pay for you the whole way. Yeah, well, so, fantastic. And see, that was the point. So my dad yeah. had strongly encouraged my brothers and I to go get our educations, to get our credentials, as he would say. And... Uh, said that he would pay for any school that I was capable of getting into. Wow, and, fantastic. Um, but I realized- Was he a college grad? A, a, no, he wasn't. He, yeah, okay. his, so, his father- American dream. My grandfather yeah. uh, uh, was only educated in eighth grade. My dad wow. was was allowed to graduate from high school. That was, that was liberalism back in those days. <laughs> yeah, right, and, right, before he went to work. Um, that's right, and before he went to work. But my grandfather used to, told me a story one time of how his father came and pulled he and his brother off the little league out off the little league <sighs> field to go to work that they didn't have wow. time to be playing sports much wow. less go to school so so anyway my dad had, had said well you listen I'll make sure you can pay for the school but I saw the economic reality and mm-hmm. one of those downswings during the early 80s was a very deep and hard recession that we had and uh, 81, 82. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. And uh, things were very tough. My parents were struggling financially, and I realized there was no way I was going to put a financial burden on my on my mom yeah. and dad. Well, and you were uh, pretty far down the totem pole, too, in the pecking order, right? Did, did your other brothers also plan to go to college, or had they, or were they going one, to college? Only one or? did. Um, yeah, only yeah. two of the five of us uh, got right. our degrees. A couple of them started, but didn't really stick to it. Yeah, yeah. And so... Uh, the the Naval Academy uh, deeply inspired me. It had hmm, um, fantastic, probably the best academic programs of any of the service academies. And the Navy has its own Air Force and its, right. uh, and its own uh, Army, if you will, the Marine Corps. And so that well, there's yeah. a lot of different uh, career options, options here. Yeah, yeah. And the cool. idea of a of a guaranteed job at the end of it was attractive to me at that point. Right. Right, fantastic. Um, rewinding a little bit, and then I want to get back to Annapolis. Tell me about any, you know, kind of entrepreneurial things that you were involved with at all. I, I know you probably worked a lot in Dad's store, but were there other things? You know, the proverbial paper route. Did you? It was you know, constantly sell cards constantly, at Christmas time. <laughs> constantly dreaming up my own business schemes. Yeah, uh, starting yeah. with a lemonade stand. All uh, right, but the most importantly, single digits I, there. I'm not sure. Well, uh, most importantly, in high school, I realized that the that the, the school was grossly overcharging for candy uh-huh. uh, and there wasn't nearly, there weren't like really good choices. So right. I, I started this um, sort of gray market candy selling business. <laughs> and uh, Buying in bulk and, and busting it yes, up, it sounds like, right? That's yeah. right. And, uh, and also- <laughs> We have actually had a few CEOs that have done that, believe it or not. I think this is the second yeah. or third time we've heard it. Yeah. Well, my, my, my big innovation was, was Rice Krispie Treats. And so ah, Rice Krispie right. Treats, I mean, these things were like gold. And I'd, I'd sell like this good size, little, uh, you know, the size of the palm of your hand Rice Krispie Treat that was about, was 50 cents. I and I, I would I I'd come to, to school in a, with a gym bag full of them and I'd, I'd clear them out. <laughs> so I, I, I basically paid for my first car with that. Oh, that, that's that great. working at my dad's shop. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, back, back to Annapolis. So uh, did you choose engineering uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a stream of study? Is, is the curriculum there more kind of set depending on, you know, kind of where you enter? Or how does that work at Annapolis? Well, it's a four-year university. It's an engineering right. school and everyone yeah. gets, a, gets the, the, a basic engineering curriculum, but they do have engineering majors. And so I went Got in it. declaring aerospace engineer 
and quickly got humbled uh, my freshman year, which is called the plebe year. And through a combination of just the academic rigor of it and the difficulty of that first year, which is, it's really like a year of boot camp. uh, I was, I didn't do so well academically. I went from a straight A student to about a 2.1 GPA and got D's in freshman chemistry and calculus uh, and thought, you know what? Maybe I don't have to major in engineering. (laughs) <laughs> and I could, I could, meanwhile, I was getting an A in, in history and an A in English. Right, right. And so I shifted. I became a political science major with, okay. a, with a focus on international relations and ultimately a minor in Russian language. So they really offer a full range of, of, of majors, uh, even at, at, at they do. It's, it's a yeah. real university. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. And did you work at all, you know, in the summers? Did you have part-time jobs? I'm sure it was a pretty tough curriculum, but did you have time for that or? The Navy is it, your um, job. You, uh, you spend all right. summer training yeah. out on, on ships or. Oh, right. Of course. Of right. Yeah. Right. So you, there's no yeah. time to work, but you're getting yeah. paid. You're getting paid. Sure. Half of an ensign's uh, salary, which was not bad. So right. I, I was right. from the time I was 18, I was fully self-sufficient. For the rest of my That's life. That's awesome. So when you graduated then, then did you, did you have a, a, a commitment to spend three or four years or how does that work? Six years. Yeah. Six years. Okay. Yeah. Five right. years so active tell us about and that. one year in reserves. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, my senior year, the uh, commandant of midshipmen, who was kind of like the provost of a university. Okay. Um, he is this, this big old cigar trumping submarine commander. And he got permission from the Pentagon to show us my graduating class secret films of U.S. submarine um, operations, and wow. uh, this was in the waning. This was in the Cold War. This was in 1986 right, right. when we saw these yeah, videos. Yeah, the mid 80s. Yeah, and uh, he explained to us that the submarine service was really at the tip of the spear in mm. our defense against the Soviet Union. That. Um, the Soviets outnumbered us in submarines three to one that, uh, fortunately our submarines were better and, uh, we were quieter and we had better Mm. electronics and systems and, uh, and we had better trained crew and officers. And he said that if, uh, if we ever come to blows with the Soviet union, that the submarine force would, would decide it. Wow. And uh, I was like, wow. oh, hell yeah. That's the <laughs> front edge. <laughs> so uh, me and about 600 other people from my, from my class uh, volunteer for submarine service, we, um, mm. uh, which means you have to go to the, the Bureau of Naval Reactors, which is uh, near the Pentagon in Crystal City, hmm. uh, Virginia, and be interviewed. And the purpose of the interview is to, to test your, your academic engineering capabilities. And remember, I majored in political science. So, right, right. so uh, you'd go to these one-on-one meetings where they would quiz you on calculus and chemistry and physics and thermodynamics. Um, and um, I got very fortunate. They, I happened to be asked a few questions that I knew. Um, <laughs> and uh, at the end... Um, the, 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 the ultimate culminating interview is with the chief of naval reactors. And it used to be Hyman Rickover. He was you know, the father oh, of the sure. Navy. Oh, sure, I remember that name. Yeah. R- Rickover yeah. had just retired a few years prior. And this okay. guy's name was Admiral McKee. And I walk into this, his office and 
he's got this this uh, dossier open with my profile, <laughs> and he looks up to me, <laughs> looks up at me, and he says, "Political science? Why the hell did you did you major in political science?" And I I said, "Well, sir, uh, I've been studying Russian history and culture, the language, uh, the nature of the Soviet Union and communism." And if we go to blows against the Soviets, you're going to want me in one of those submarines. Ooh, great and, response. Uh, and I got it. How in. did he react? He, yeah. he kind of sat yeah. back in he his chair. That. We had a few more, <laughs> few more commentary. And, and uh, so they let me in, which means I then had to go in, effectively after I graduated, get a master's, the equivalent of a master's degree in nuclear engineering. So I'm oh a really gosh. weird Is that cat. Out, out at Monterey or did you do that? Um, no, it's, yeah, it's done. At, the schools are, uh, at, at the time, the school is in, um, in Florida, Orlando, okay. Florida, the nuclear, Naval, Naval Nuclear Power School. And it involves okay. um, a year of study and also practical uh, how to operate a land-based reactor because it's, it's all about wow. learning. You know, a nuclear submarine is a, it's like a city. Right. Uh, it's, sure. it's got its own power system its own life support systems. It's the most complicated thing ever created by human beings, probably, yeah. you know, right around the Apollo program as far as how complex right. it is. Right. And, you know, at our peak, we were running a hundred of those submarines around the world. And um, uh, so it was really challenging and yeah. enormous Fantastic. amounts of hard work. I'll, I'll hear young people say, you know, I've been, I'm working 70 hours a week. And I was like, <laughs> no, you're not. I'm not. I know what 70 hours a week is because if you do... 12 hours a day, five days yeah. a week, that's 60. That's 60, and now, right. And now you've only got 10 left. You, you'd have to work another five hours a day on Saturday, each on Sunday. Right. Uh, that'd right. Be, that would be a 70-hour week. Yeah. And, and the reason I knew that is because I was one of the you guys. Like, shifts. Well, I shifts. Well, I was seriously struggling to get through that program. And so they put me on mandatory study hours, me and the other mm. the other rocks that were at the bottom of the class <laughs> and uh, who didn't major in uh, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, or right, systems engineering, right. or even nuclear engineering. Uh, and so got through that program, got assigned to a, a, a U.S. fast attack nuclear submarine out of San Diego called the USS Chicago. Mm, awesome. And uh, served for um, on that submarine for about three years and total yeah. active duty of six years. Did they throw you right into leadership responsibility? They Rick? do, yeah. right out of the yeah. gate. Yeah. Right out of the gate, yeah. The the submarine, the fast tech submarine, is about 130 to 150 wow. uh, people on board. Yeah. Uh, there's approximately 13 officers, so about one mm. for every 10, um, or one for every, I guess, 12 enlisted uh, men. And and um, and so right away when I arrived at the ship, I right uh, a month shy of my 24th birthday, I was made the electrical officer and mm. um, had 13 guys working for me who were electricians mates and the, nice. the enlisted people on uh, Navy ships and particularly in submarines are the technical experts. They're the ones that actually operate the systems. Right. And, and probably older, right? I would imagine they were older than you for the uh, most part. Some or of them were, yeah. Senior? I mean, yeah, the, sure. the, the enlisted guys were probably, you know, the average age on a U.S. Navy ship is early 20s. Oh, it's still pretty young. Yeah. And the, uh, I mean, I remember the captain, we always called the captain the old man and he was 38 years old. <laughs> and so... Uh, you know, it taught me that, that really, you know, normal people can do extraordinary things mm. with the right kind of inspired inspiration and, and yeah. effective leadership and training. 
And so the, right. the Navy is just really good at developing people. And I learned a lot of, a lot of uh, important uh, characteristics at that time that, that have helped me in my career ever since. And, and frankly, have a lot to do with mind-body success. What were some of the best and worst uh, lessons that you learned from some of those former commanding officers? And, and no, names, no names need to be mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the most important lesson was just how important it is to be truly competent mm. in what you're doing. Competent with a capital C, meaning you actually know the right answer. You're not just appearing to know. Uh, you've done the hard work and you're constantly challenging yourself to be to be better in your knowledge and understanding of this of the the ship and its systems and and that's unbelievably complex yeah. and uh the interesting thing about it when you arrive on the ship as a junior officer is that the enlisted guys are actually responsible in large part for training you hmm. and t- teaching you you have to you go around and you get what's called a checkout where you you have to learn a particular system like imagine like an, uh, a particular component of an air conditioning system. You have to learn all of it. And right. then the checkout is the guy who actually manages that thing, asking you questions about it and mm. how, you, how it operates and you demonstrating that you actually know it. So, so that level of, of, of rigor um, w- was deeply impactful for me. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then meanwhile, I'm responsible for these, for these people. The, sure. the ones that work for me. And, uh, you know, I, I, I could think of plenty of mistakes I made uh, at the time trying to, um, trying to appear that I had it all together and I knew what I was doing mm. um, uh, at times when it would have been better to just seek the help of the people that I was responsible for. Yeah, yeah. Great lesson. Great lesson. What about some of the, um, you know, we all have had former bosses or commanding officers in your case that, you know, you say, you see that behavior and you go, boy, I will never do that. That's such a great lesson on how not to lead other people. Was there any of that or was the Navy much better at maybe sorting some of those things out with uh, the people they promoted into leadership roles? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I was very fortunate that that both commanding officers I had were excellent and distinctly different kinds of personalities. Um, one of them was a Naval Academy grad like me. The other had gone to Auburn and had right. served right. a distinguished 20-year career, um, Captain Glenn Ward. And the, the quality of their leadership uh, re- was deeply inspiring to me. Now, I knew nice. some other officers on board, not so great, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, saw plenty of bad examples, yeah. and, and mostly around just lack of empathy, hmm. lack of of EQ. Caring for others. Yeah. Yeah. Caring right. for others and also just right. seeing what's happening around them. Yeah. And, you know, stressful situations bring out people's true character. Sure. And some people in times of, of stress, well, they get closer to the people around them. They get closer to the, you know, the band of brothers, if you will. Others yeah. in times of stress, they kind of go inward and they, re- they retreat emotionally. And, and you could see the people that, well, if we ever did go to battle, you'd want to be in battle with and the people mm. that, that you didn't want to be yeah. uh, with. You had your back. Yeah, cool. Well, let's uh, let's fast forward a little bit. I know that you've been involved in mind-body. I think you said 16, 17 years. Is that right? Uh, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago? 19. We started, 19, okay. So, we started the business so was, in, uh, in the fall of 2000. So was that straight out of, of your military experience or were there some things in between? 
No, it wasn't actually. I, I left the Navy in uh, 94. Okay. And, a few years there. Yeah. And then I uh, uh, went to work for a couple different jobs. I, had a, I right. signed up for a, a chemical company for a sales engineering job. In, um, and that lasted nine months before I realized I didn't really want to do that. Right, um, right. And in fact, I got fired from that job. And, uh, it, and it's because the boss asked me one day, he said, Rick, don't you trust me? And I said, no. And uh, so he fired me wow. the next day. Um, huh. And uh, I was really not happy in the, in the job. I didn't feel that he'd been straight with me in, my, in, in explaining it. And I look back in it now and I see my own role in that. I see mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the perhaps the arrogance that I had coming out of the Navy and and into that role. And if I saw the guy today, I'd buy him a beer and thank him because he <laughs> he uh, he set me into a course on another course. Yeah, that's right. And so I've always remembered that when I have to let go of somebody, you're, you're you're probably doing them a favor because if they're in the role and they're not succeeding. Uh, and and they're taxing the organization rather than helping the organization. Well, you know that's probably wasn't their aspiration either. And it's the re, it's the job responsibility of the leader to make those hard calls. And um, well, you know, you know, my day job's an executive recruiter, so I always use the euphemism releasing them to the industry. <laughs> it's true. You're, you're setting them go. free. Absolutely. I mean, at the, at the Absolutely. time, I had a I had a. a a daughter and a wife pregnant with our second wow. and a house in San Diego that was underwater because I'd bought it on yeah. a VA loan and the real estate market was going backwards. Right, right. And uh, so I didn't feel any freedom to leave that job. And, uh, you know, uh, he gave me a kick out the door and I, and Best I frankly, thing you ever did. I yeah. needed yeah. it. Yeah. I needed right. it. It reset me. I spent, my dad gave me some great advice at the time. He said, I really think, he says, you've worked really, really hard at this point. You know, at this point, I'm 20, you know, what, eight years old. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he says, take the time to really think through what you want to do. Yeah. And um, I ended up getting a job uh, at in for Commonwealth Edison, which is a nuclear utility company in Chicago. Oh. And uh, not what I really wanted to do, but at least a more stable environment. And... And did you move the family there? Um, we did. We moved to the wow. the northern Illinois. Big, big change from San Diego. Big change. Yeah. And uh, I did that job for a little under three years. Hmm. And then uh, really wanted to get, uh, my wife and I wanted to get our family back to California. Right. A couple of those Chicago winters can be pretty brutal for a Californian. <laughs> Builds character. And, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I learned some and really muscles good, from shuffling all that snow. <laughs> well, I really, I really learned some some um, good qualities from those mm. folks that I worked with yeah. there. And yeah, yeah. and you know, Midwestern I Midwestern stock. Yeah, Midwestern mm. stock, very stable, yeah. uh, hardy people. Yeah, um, they really care for each other. Uh, a lot less uh, sort of on the surface than perhaps right. like a classic right. California yeah. Uh, yeah type person, and so. So that was that was actually quite good for me, but but the job that really changed everything was was getting hired in Space Launch at Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. Oh. So go back to the very beginning of the story. I'd gone to Vandenberg and actually seen a rocket yeah. launch. Oh, um, fantastic! Uh, through your mentor, right? Through the mentor, yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the NASA satellite launches. 
So now I was in launch operation in support of Annenberg. That's what got me to the California Central Coast, San Luis Obispo. Mm. Yeah. And um, uh, and that's when my old buddy from high school, Blake Beltram, a guy I'd met in uh, doing uh, plays. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. He told me about this Your software he was writing for uh, yeah. yoga, Pilates, and spinning studios. So 19 years ago, so literally the turn of the century, right? Is that the year that you guys were founded? Uh, we were founded then. That's right. The conversation yeah. started a couple of years before that, but we okay. were actually got going in the in uh, 2000. That's right. So tell us a little bit about what MindBody does. MindBody, at its core, is a software solution for boutique fitness, salon, spa, mm. and wellness businesses. Okay. And uh, what we do is like an ERP. It runs everything right. for the business. We manage mm. their schedules, Billing, scheduling, their mm -hmm. CRM, their staff, how they pay their staff, uh, their retail point of sale. 90% of the businesses we serve, more than 90% sell products. You think about a yoga sure. studio selling mats or clothing. Right. Uh, uh, High margin studio. items too, for the most part. It's, right? a, it's an, an important, important part of their yeah. income. Sure. And uh, so we have a full retail point of sale system. We do all the cool. payment processing. Um, we're going to process about $12 billion in payments through our system this year. Great. And it never existed before. There was no competition in that industry or were they kind of people bootlegging different types of software? There were a couple needed? of competitors. And uh, in fact, there was actually one called YogaSoft and another one called Yoga Counts. Right. And so we weren't the first ones with the idea, but we, we definitely were more tenacious and we had mm -hmm. a perhaps a, a bigger vision about where we could go with it. It was always our intention to create a marketplace, to create a place that would connect um, people to these businesses, to help sure. them find and book the classes and appointments they want, to help them to rate and review those classes. Mm. And so from the very beginning, it was a B2C vision um, executed through a B2B solution. So the other right. side of mind body is we are are now a, a rapidly growing consumer brand, mm. and we have a a couple million um, monthly active users of the mind body app. For example, it's an app you can download from the right. iTunes and Google Play stores. Mm -hmm. You can think of it as kind of like an Uber of wellness, and uh, so somebody called it or an open table of wellness. If you can use an older right. reference, right. Uh -huh. yeah. Awesome. And Blake's still involved in the business? He is, yeah. Okay. He, Did he you left, guys start? He left for several years uh -huh. uh, and then came back. And so he's our mind-body evangelist today. Okay. He, uh, and he did, runs did you start a CEO? Was that kind of how you guys divide and conquer? He was more product development and you were on the management side? Or how, how did yeah. you kind of divide responsibilities early on? Early on, we were just called ourselves partners. Right, And right. we're 50-50 owners of the LLC. Uh, I remember at the time we formed the LLC, we had to make a decision. Well, you know, an LLC has to have an LLC manager, right? Right. And yep. uh, there's no official title of CEO. And uh, I remember us having a conversation. Well, do you want to be the manager? Or I'll be the manager. So I just, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Slip a because, coin. Because <laughs> he didn't really want to be bothered too much with that right. paperwork. Um, and uh, before long, um, we decided that, uh, you know, he would be head of product and I'd be president. And uh, we, uh, well, the story gets really interesting because we had a pretty bad breakup uh, in our relationship mm. in 03. And we just had differing visions about where the company should go. Yeah. 
And um, was that the time that he left then? Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, it had in, in large part to do with, uh, well, what I started seeing was that the, the desktop software, which is the original product that, that he had designed, that just wasn't going to scale. And we would, we would install the software on PCs in these studios. And imagine like a five location um, local chain business right. in New York, for example, Upper East Side, Upper West Side, Midtown, and Soho. And, and we were using internet connectivity to synchronize the data of the, the mm. local databases. And then we were synchronizing that to a web scheduling tool that we had built. And there was just way too many moving parts. It was too complicated. It broke a lot. And we were like the Dutch boys with our fingers in the dike trying to keep it all running. <laughs> and, and by fingers the time, and toes, probably. Yeah. yeah. By the time we got to about 500 installed locations, it just was really clear it wasn't going to scale. And, and meanwhile, there were right. some interesting brands emerging. Uh, like some of the brands that are today dominant in the industry were emerging back then. This was 03 and 04. Mm. So Yoga Works um, had at that time about 12 locations in California and New York. Uh, Pure Yoga, which is Hong Kong-based, started growing outside of Hong Kong. They had multiple locations in Hong Kong, but they also opened up in mm. Singapore and uh, uh, Taiwan and had plans for mainland China. And our systems weren't going to scale with them. So mm. um, I, I had this kind of breakthrough moment where I realized that we had all the data on our web server. The web server itself um, was there for the purpose of consumer booking. but we could add the functionality to that web product to turn it into a full version of our software. Oh. And that's basically the product spec that I gave to our, our head of product technology at the time, Chet Brandenburg, and say, Chet, can you take everything the desktop software does and reverse engineer it into our web scheduler? Mm. And he said, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And uh, six months later, we, we released the, with the prototype. Yeah. But what we were, what I was doing was was killing Blake's baby. I mean, he had spent mm. he had spent five years of toil, blood, sweat, and tears building it. Right. right. And uh, and I was saying we, we couldn't go forward with that, and that that was part of it. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so we didn't. We uh, he left the business. Um, I found a new partner, Bob Murphy. He was one of our customers in New York, who uh, who helped orchestrate Blake's buyout. And mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. bought him out of the business and um, became a SaaS business in 2005. And went, went a different way. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a very pivotal point. And, and today you're global. You're publicly traded. How many employees? How many locations? We're not publicly traded anymore. We just went private. We're not publicly traded. Oh, you went private. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. We were, well, congratulations, we were by, I guess, uh, on that. <laughs> we were bought. You know, it's it's a very good thing. We were bought by Vista Equity yeah. Partners in February for $1.9 billion. Ah, okay. Well, I, I remember when you went public, so I wasn't aware that you'd, you'd been bought back. Well, great. Terrific. We went public and, in um, in June of 2015. Going public was a big right. moment for yeah. us. It, it really, yeah, right. first of all, it's a, it's a, it's a capital raising event. We raised a hundred million dollars, um, but also it was Fantastic. a brand expanding event. And it also causes right. a level of operating discipline. I think that was, has been extremely helpful. Um, but, but it's also after, uh, Three and a half years of that, it became a um, uh, a matter of diminishing returns mm. uh, on the amount of effort to run a public company. The yeah, yeah, the, the grind quarterly of reporting. quarterly reporting yeah. that it's about a month out of the CEO and CFO of a public <sighs> company 
spend about one out of every three months engaged in investor relations, either yeah. prepping yeah. for the earnings call and earnings release, and then just going to meeting with investors. Right. And I think, you know, larger companies at some point, the CEO says, I'm not doing this anymore. And they have an IR team, investor right. relations team, but the smaller or the mid caps like us, you don't uh, have a choice. Yeah. You have to, if you don't no, show they expect up, it, yeah. they expect right. it. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. uh, so uh, Vista bought us with a, at a 68% premium to what we were being, awesome. what we were trading at Congratulations. and they're investing in our business. Thank you. That's great. They've, uh, yeah, so, they're enabling us to, to go back to making some longer term decisions about how we're going mm. to develop our next generation products, how we're going to expand globally. I'm giving you more time to do that. Great. Yeah. So, so how many employees, how many offices today? We have 2000 employees in 13 offices on four continents. Oh, fantastic. And, and uh, can you talk about your revenue now that you're private again or, or, or the approximate level of where it is? <laughs> yeah, we, we, we filed our uh, plan. It's public okay. information before we went private saying we were going right. to do about 304 million in revenue this year. Fantastic. Love it. Well, a couple of questions uh, specifically to your, you know, naval background. What, what would you say is kind of the most important thing that you learned during your, you know, Annapolis years, and then of course the five six years out, you know, in the, in the water, so to speak, that you've applied to Mind Body. Well, number one is the 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 effect of leadership, mm -hmm. and effective leadership can transform an organization, uh, particularly if the organization is about accomplishing something bigger than themselves. Mm. And if you look at the most inspiring companies today, they have some kind of purpose that, that really matters. Yeah. And it's not just about making money. And so MindBody's pur purpose is to help people lead healthier, happier lives by connecting the world to wellness. Mm. And, and that's a unifying purpose in our company. Well, the purpose of the U.S. Navy is, you know, at the time that I was there, was you know to protect the free world. Yeah, <laughs> and so that's a that's a purpose-driven life. You don't do something like that because you want to make a lot of money. Because yeah. by the way, the money's not that great, uh, and the hours are are intense. Um, so that that Navy experience taught me that that we should start our company with with the why and, and consistently communicate that to the team. So we are, we talk about our purpose regularly. We have a clearly stated set of core values mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that we recruit on, that we uh, develop people on, that we promote on, and if necessary, we will separate people on if they don't align with our core values. Right. And uh, all of that came from the Navy. Yeah. Fantastic. How would you say your leadership style has evolved over time? I think I've, I, first of all, I, getting older uh, is about seeing more depth. Hmm. And, you know, I was with some, um, some really smart folks last night, said dinner with them, the entrepreneurs with a tech company and uh, super smart. In fact, three, three of them are computer engineers. Hmm. And they're very young though. They're in their twenties. And I realized talking with them, first of all, it's wonderful. And I, and I love being around young people that the idealism and the excitement, uh, particularly entrepreneurs, uh, and you know, they see things in, in, in a bit more primary colors. Uh, and so the older I get, I think the less judgmental I, I, hmm. I, I am, the more open I am to 
just differing personalities and points of view right. and, and appreciative of what are really intrinsic qualities. Uh, the more I value relationships, I, I, if I could go back to my 20 something self, when I first arrived on that submarine, I would have said, it's all about the people. It's all about mm. the relationships. That's what's really going to matter to you 20 years yeah. from now. Yeah. So true. So true. Rick, you've been very generous with your time, but we've got a couple last questions. I, I, I just can't, have been waiting to ask it's around this whole concept of people and how important there are, they are in any organization, whether it's the Navy or a, you know, a new startup or an established publicly traded company. What, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in? Well, first and foremost, I want to know the why behind their choices they've made in their lives. Hmm. You know, whether, whether you've made, majored in computer science or French literature, um, <laughs> whatever. Uh, the major itself is is not of great importance, um, unless we're specifically talking about a, a, a skill set that you need for that job. Mm-hmm. What I, what's more interesting to me is is the why, and, and from that you you really learn about people's passion or lack of passion, and their sense of purpose in their lives, yeah. and. Uh, so we look first and foremost for people that are really purpose-driven, that have some kind mm. of fire in their bellies. You know, we've talked a bit in this interview about uh, what the fire in my belly was. You know, the, the first of all, the, the experiencing entrepreneurialism as, as, a, as a kid and seeing these family members who had started and run their own businesses. Yeah. And secondly, the, the economic uh, anxiety um, that really lit a fire in me to, to accomplish right. um, a great deal more. So we look for people like that. Uh, we look for people who, who really want their lives to matter, um, who enjoy succeeding as a team. Hmm. And you know, the uh, one of our core values is being humble and helpful. Hmm. So, so our first core value is committed to wellness, and and it's both wellness is a multi-dimensional concept. It's not just physical fitness. I mean, that's we we need to have a body that works, but but we also need to have. Um, mental wellness and emotional well-being and social wellness. And, and so we look for that in people. Secondly, audaciously achieving, people that are just driven to achieve, and that's about that fire in the belly. Uh, third, people that are humble and helpful. And I don't know how to teach humility. I, I think it, it, it's something our yeah. parents gave us. It maybe right. even goes deeper than that. But humble people accomplish the most. They're open hmm. to growth and change. They, they bring out the best in others rather than the opposite. And arrogant people tend to, to, off, to push off other people and, uh, and cause the overall performance of the team to go down. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so these are the qualities that we look for. And yeah. then our, our last core value is continuously evolving or consciously mm. evolving. And that is recognizing that each of us is completely free to wake up tomorrow and be just a little bit better, a little hmm. bit better in how we treat ourselves, how we treat each other, a little bit more knowledgeable in our work, a little bit more effective with our team and with our customers. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very empathetic as well. I love it. That's Last right. question, Rick. And, you know, what career and life advice would you give to someone who is, you know, their eyes uh, on the corner office? Maybe they want to get there themselves in a company of your size or perhaps start something on their own. Well, I think first and foremost is to be valuable, as valuable as you can be in your current role, whatever Mm. that role may be. If it's something that, even if it doesn't inspire you, I mean, multiple people have said, you know, from Steve Jobs to many others, you know, follow your passion, that thing that really lights you up. 
And that's true. Um, however, you may, you may find that your passion opens up in ways you never expected. Hmm. It, it may that's not true. be in the direction yeah. that you bet on a few years ago. Um, instead, uh, if, if you focus on what you're doing right now, how can you be of help to others? How can you help develop uh, the value in your organization? What you'll find out is that you're more valuable than ever before in that organization when you take it that right. sort of that sort of uh, humble, helpful approach. Um, meanwhile, having your eyes open and looking at what's going on both within the organization you're in and in other organizations, and just being curious hmm. and and reading about and studying other companies, uh, studying other walks of life. If you had told me at 33 that this would is what I would have been doing at 53, I, I wouldn't <laughs> even had a paradigm of understanding how. I, I would have asked you that, uh, you mean yoga is a business? Because it, it doesn't make any sense to me. And right, right. Um, so being open to to the possibilities. New ideas. There, yeah. there, there's more than one successful path for everyone. Right. And um, if you're at a cusp of a decision in your life that's hard, where where whether you're going to go left or go right is is a tough choice, you know, the chances are both paths will work because mm -hmm. if it, if one path was, was all rainbows and unicorns and the other path was ruination, <laughs> well, that'd be a pretty easy choice, wouldn't it? Right. It's never that clear. It's never that clear. And, and there's probably success down both paths. And the best thing you can do in that moment, um, as Yogi Berra would say, is when you get to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> That's right. I love it. Well, we'll end on that note. Rick Stallmeyer, founder and CEO of MindBody, thank you very much for sharing your journey into the corner office today. My pleasure, Brent. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 